It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. On this day in 1937, the mutilated body of 19-year-old Pamela Werner was found outside the walls of old Peking, China. Her murder was never solved, and today the debate as to who committed the crime is as volatile as ever. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the murder of Pamela Werner. She was the adopted daughter of British diplomat and Peking resident Edward Werner. The murder investigation was ultimately swept away by the tide of World War II, only to be reignited by researchers in the 21st century. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Dr. Whit Misseldine of the podcast, This Is Actually Happening. He's here to discuss some historical aspects of the crime, while I'll cover the narrative. Happy to have you here, Whit. Happy to be here, Vanessa. This is a pretty complicated story we're covering today. That's true. In fact, the version of the story we're about to explore is just one of many possible explanations for what happened to Pamela. First, let's go back to the night before the body was found, in the ancient city of Peking on January 7, 1937, just after 7 p.m. Pamela smiled as she glided across the ice of the French ice rink. It was just one of many European imports in the walled paradise of Peking. She had lived here all 19 years of her life, enjoying the blend of cultures within their new Chinese home. She had learned to speak Mandarin at a young age and surprised the locals with the ease with which she spoke their language. They weren't used to hearing their native tongue in the mouth of a white, blonde Westerner. In truth, the legation quarter where she grew up and now resided was little more than a tiny neighborhood at the foot of the imperial city. But it was teeming with activity. There were soldiers looking for a drink, Russian refugees looking to make a living, various sordid types simply looking to disappear. It didn't bother Pamela, though. This was her home. When her friends at the ice skating rink asked her if she needed an escort to her house, she scoffed. Nonsense. This was the safest city in the world. The British government in Beijing maintained a careful balance with the Chinese government that surrounded it. No one would dare harm the daughter of a diplomat. Pamela moved freely through Peking without fear. She pulled her jacket tight around her dress and peeled out into the city on her bicycle. This was the life. The whole city at her beck and call, full of things for her to do, full of places to explore, full of people to meet. 
That last one was what got her sent to boarding school 70 miles south in Tianjin. Her father, Edward, didn't like all the time she was spending with local boys. He was very controlling of her movements. He would never allow her to be seduced. When Han, one of her schoolmates, took to walking her home after class, her father burst out of the house and struck him on the nose with his cane. She rolled her eyes at the thought, swerving her bike to avoid an oncoming rickshaw. As she did so, a donkey hee-hawed at her from the other side of the road. Another few maneuvers and she was on the outskirts of the legation quarter. The dark shadows of the ancient city wall covered her, allowing her a moment of solace. She stopped her bike, breathing in the mud scent of the city. She wished she could be her own person, free to stay in Peking or go somewhere else if she wished, not forced to return to boarding school. She jumped at the sudden sound of someone emerging from the darkness of the wall behind her. She squinted, realizing with a surprise that it was none other than Han Shouqing, her old classmate, and the boy that her father had driven away with his cane. He looked nervous, but also distant, as if he were considering a thousand things at once. She called out to him in Mandarin with a friendly greeting. He offered her a limp smile and a token response. It wasn't lost on her that he continued to shuffle forward, backing her slowly into the wall. She tried to engage him in further conversation, to get him to share with her what was going on inside his head. But he continued to behave strangely, moving closer and closer. It was far too late by the time she noticed the knife blade. It sprung from his sleeve and entered into her stomach. She was too afraid to scream. Her eyes scanned his face, begging for some sort of explanation, for some mercy. But he had none to offer. He stabbed her again and again. Pamela's blood splattered onto her dress and onto Han's coat. Eventually, the light in her eyes faded. But it wasn't enough. To Han, Pamela represented everything that was wrong with this damn place. Everything that he couldn't have. The elitism of the Europeans who kept themselves separate and above everything. Crying out, Han brought the knife back down onto Pamela's torso. He started to cut, carving her heart right out from her chest. After mutilating her body, Han fled into the night. Her body remained there in a ditch next to the wall, decomposing in the cold. It wasn't until the next day, January the 8th, that a passing pedestrian found her. He quickly summoned the police. Shortly thereafter, her father arrived on the scene. He wept in grief. Eventually, it would consume him. He would stop at nothing to find out who was responsible for his daughter's murder. Next, we'll explore the multiple theories behind Pamela's murder. Now, back to the story. After 19-year-old Pamela Werner's murder on January 7, 1937, police investigators from both the British and Chinese governments descended on the scene on the morning of the 8th. 
But their efforts would be in vain. Within a few short months, the Chinese and Japanese armies engaged in a series of battles that led directly into the Second World War. My guest host, Dr. Whit Misseldine, is going to take over from here to discuss the details of the investigation and the multiple theories as to who committed the murder. Thanks, Vanessa. Pamela's murder was particularly gruesome. She was stabbed to death, then afterwards her heart was cut out, as were her kidneys, bladder, and liver. Her throat was also slashed, and her right arm was nearly severed. The body also showed signs of sexual assault. Strangely, there wasn't very much blood at the crime scene, considering the amount of butchery. It was clear from this brutality that this was no simple attack. There was a powerful emotion behind the murder. Adding to this theory was the fact that Pamela's jewel-encrusted watch was left on her wrist. If this were a robbery, she would have been stripped of any valuables. From the beginning of the investigation, Pamela's father, Edward, was in conflict with the authorities. He already had a history of fighting with Consul Nicholas Fismaurice, who was the coroner in the murder case. The two had clashed years prior over whether some valuable Chinese art should be relocated to London or kept in China with its people. Edward, a student of Chinese culture, advocated for keeping the art in China. Fitzmaurice wanted it brought to London. They remained enemies after this, leading to turmoil over the course of Pamela's murder investigation. This was especially infuriating to Edward, who felt certain he knew who the murderers were. According to a series of letters he wrote to investigators, he believed that the killers were actually a trio of men, Wentworth Prentice, Ugo Capuzzo, and Fred Knopf. They were American and European expatriates known for their wild nude parties in the woods. But there were also rumors of darker gatherings where women were sexually abused. Werner believed that Prentice, Pamela's dentist, lured her to such a gathering. He surmised that once there, she resisted Prentice's advances and he struck her over the head in anger. Prentice, Capuzzo, and Knopf then drained her of her blood so that she could be easier to transport and took her body out to the wall. They then mutilated her to make it look like some sort of Chinese medical practitioner had harvested her organs. While this theory did explain some things about the murder, such as why there wasn't very much blood at the crime scene, there was little evidence to back it up. Fitzmaurice, out of either anger, incompetence, or genuine lack of evidence, didn't charge any of the three men. Then, once war broke out, he fled back to Britain. Edward wasn't so lucky. He was captured in the Japanese invasion of Peking and placed in a prison camp. He was said to wander the grounds, consumed with grief, accusing people at random of the murder. 74 years later, in 2011, British author Paul French revived interest in the case with his book Midnight in Peking. He depicted a city on the verge of collapse, filled with debauchery. Using Edward Werner's letters as his starting point, he made a convincing argument supporting Edward's suspicions that the trio of men had killed Pamela. But then, in 2018, Graham Shepard, the grandson-in-law of Nicholas Fitzmaurice, wrote a book entitled A Death in Peking, Who Killed Pamela Werner? He posited that Edward Werner was an unreliable source of information, as he was known for being prone to emotional instability and even violent outbursts. As a former police officer, Shepard believed that the more likely suspects were either Edward himself, upset that he was losing control over his daughter, or Han Xiuqing, Pamela's former classmate who Warner had attacked with his cane. Both men had more of a motive and more of a chance of catching Pamela off guard. As for the lack of blood at the crime scene, Shepard argued that this wasn't that unusual. 
In his years of experience with crime scenes, he had seen many bodies where the blood spatter wasn't as significant as might have been expected. The Han theory also provided the best explanation as to why Pamela's body was mutilated. If he killed her out of homicidal jealousy, he might have also been driven to disfigure her. Shepard also allows for the idea that the murderer and the mutilator might not even have been one in the same. Pamela may have been killed by one individual, only to have some other opportunistic passerby come along later and harvest her organs. The two opposing authors, French and Shepard, are a modern-day Edward Warner and Nicholas Fitzmaurice. They have reignited the debate over Pamela's death and revived it from the obscure pages of Beijing history. Ultimately, however, the truth continues to elude us. The murder was always a mysterious solitary event with no witnesses. Difficulties in the investigation were made even worse by the tide of Japanese invasion that began just a few months later. No matter how much we dig into the clues, the reality is we will never know who really killed Pamela Werner. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Wit for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Vanessa. You can find my podcast, This Is Actually Happening, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more stories like this, check out our episodes of Unsolved Murders covering Pamela Werner. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thank you.